can and marry. That was great. Enjoy that very much. We're glad you're here this morning. I'm glad for our, our visitors uh, with us. We're, I guess, I don't know why we'd call you a visitor, but you're here. We're grateful for that. Good to see your beautiful faces again this morning, Royce and Glenda. And looking forward to that in uh, October. Uh, we're planning for the conference. We've got several things going, so we want to have a little meeting after the service this morning, maybe just kind of... I sent out an email. I don't know if you, if you read it yet or not, but uh, a few things that we want to talk about doing in preparation for the conference. And uh, so we'll have a, probably a fuller meeting on Wednesday, I'm thinking. And anyway, see if we can take care of some of that stuff. So we're, we're uh, looking forward to that too. And then uh, the conference, the, I've had some... Uh, uh, I'll say bulletins, brochures, I guess I call it a flyer here. I sent them out by email, and it's also on Facebook. If you need some paper copies, uh, I've got a, just a few here to share. If you know some neighbors or somebody that you don't want to email something to, I'll, you can pick some of these up. And if I need more, I'll save me back a copy. I'll get some more made, and um, you can hand those out. So I just wanted you to make sure you knew that those were here. Uh, (coughs) We'll do like we did the last conference where we shared time with Faith Baptist as we co-sponsored the the conference. It was held at their church, but you remember we had the morning service here at our church. So they're going to have morning service there at their church. Arlen will speak there. We'll have morning service here, and Brother Royce will start the service here. And then, of course... Sunday night we'll meet here as well, and all the evening services then will be here at Community Baptist. Um, yes, 10 o'clock. The morning services will be here at church at community as well. And the ladies have all kind of got squared away while they're working on it, getting the food plans. Janet met with Ellen, and uh, so <laughs> I know she hasn't had a chance to talk with you yet, but we'll work that out. And... Just about had some trouble in the parking lot this morning. Had some group of men out there that was causing problems. They were trying to steal the affections of my granddaughter. So I had to go out and break that group up. <laughs> Get them back in the building here before I lost contact here. But Ava's back here eyeing Wanda over there right now. So they're playing wavies here. So anyway, I got that taken care of too. All right, I don't think that I have any more announcements other than say glad that Jerry and Donna made it back okay and we knew you'd have a good time we weren't worried about that but we're glad you're back here with us too well I'm surprised I kept thinking you haven't (laughs) okay yeah <laughs> they'll they'll do what they got to do when they're ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things will be okay. It'll be all right. Okay, we were uh, well. Here they come. Matthew chapter five. <coughs> We've been preaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so we're going to continue on this morning. We were in verse 17 of chapter 5 last week. We're going to start with verse 17 again because, um, you know, it was amazing sometimes how you can have a whole passage and wonder, what am I going to say about that? And then you can have one little verse and just go on and on and on, you know. Uh, there's just a lot in that little verse 17. So we're going to take another look at that. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of, uh, one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's kind of easy to divide this up, I think, in, in some respects. You know, verses 17 and 18 talk about, you, know, you can see that it's about Jesus and his relationship to the law. In verses 18 and ni or 19 and 20, rather, it's about the disciples and their relationship to the law, or you and I. Then in verse 17, you can see that when he said, think not, <clears throat> he was perceiving or anticipating what was in the minds of the disciples and or the, the crowd that was around them and listening in and potentially at least some scribes and some Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, think not. That tells us something about the disciples and their understanding of Jesus as the living word. And then he mentions not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. So we have the written word mentioned there. And in essence, what Jesus was doing here was just making clear. He, as the living word and the written word, and the relationship between the two. And we mentioned last week also that in this mentioning here of the law, he is bringing together, as it were, or showing a unity between the Old Testament and the law and the prophets and Jesus himself. And we saw also this little phrase, I am come. And I wanted to revisit that for a little bit because it has some strong implications here. You know, Jesus is ultimately or basically here beginning his ministry publicly. And when he states, I am come, he's setting himself up in a peculiar position here. And that being as the Messiah. 
the one who was prophesied that would come. And those very words themselves carry, well, they're more than carrying messianic overtones. They are actually messianic language. I am come. And I want us to look at just a few verses in the Old Testament that speak of this so that we can understand that when Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, I am come, he was saying something a little different than the ordinary person who appeared on the scene with some new teaching. So let's look back at Jeremiah, for instance. And we're not going to, by any means, by any means, look at all that we could look at, but just a few to give us the flavor and the idea of what the import of this phrase, I am come, means. Jeremiah 33. And <coughs> verse 14. Jeremiah 33, 14 and 15. And he says there, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. Now, when, of course, Jeremiah in his preaching and here in his writing, behold, the days come. And frequently mentioned in prophetic scripture are things about days to come. So when Jesus said, I am come, they were to make the connection. And whether they did or not is probably beyond our means to understand. They didn't, they didn't understand Jesus, the disciples themselves, So I'm suspecting they didn't quite understand the import of what he was saying. But let's go on over, or I'll turn back actually, to 23, chapter 23 of Jeremiah. And he makes the same basic statement here. In 23.5 he says, Behold, The days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now they were looking for that king. They were looking for such an one who would come and deliver Israel, and set them free from their enemies, and subdue them, and bring about the peace and the righteousness that had been promised. Turn now over to Hosea. That's just after Daniel. (coughs) Hosea chapter 6 and the first three verses here. And there this well-known passage where he says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For uh, For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us 
as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. He shall come. Jesus said, I am come. Now one more. Turn over to Malachi. That'd be the last one of the Old Testament, the last book. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, well, they did. They had great delight in the prospect of this coming one. Saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. That they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And of course, Malachi's word was a word of warning. When he comes... Who shall stand if you don't repent, if you don't orient or rightly uh, put your life in order, as it were? Confess your sins and begin living for the Lord in view of his coming. And so when Jesus said, I am come, they understand, or they should have understood. I am come. I am that one. What did he do? What did he come to do? He says, I am come not to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm come to fulfill it. Now, I read one commentator said this is one of the most confusing verses in all the New Testament. (laughs) And I suppose in some respects it is because some view this here as Jesus Fulfilling or keeping, fulfilling in the sense of keeping the law to the nth degree. And in doing that then, the problem, of course, is is if you go on down to verse 19 where it talks about keeping or breaking one of the least of these commandments and so on, then that means we're going to be obligated to keep the law to the nth degree. All of its little minutiae. If it, as it were, the tiniest little bits, we would be responsible for keeping. But I think the fuller explanation here has to do with the fact that Jesus kept or fulfilled the law in its completeness. He made it full. Which is exactly what the word fill or fulfill means. It means to make something full all the way to the top. It means to fill it to the brim. So if you've got a jar of water, you filled it all the way to the top. Anything else wouldn't be full. You had a bushel of grain, then you filled it to the full. It was full to the brim. So when Jesus said he fulfilled the law, he, as we would say it in English sometimes, an English expression, we would say he fleshed it out. You know, we talk in things about we 
kind of rough up a draft of something and then they say, well, now we need to just flesh it out. Well, in a sense, that's how the law was. The law had gaps, as it were. It wasn't the fullness. It wasn't the completeness. There were blank spots, things unrevealed. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, I am come. And if they would make the connection that I am the Messiah, I am come to fulfill or complete, make full the law. If You know, to give us a little <clears throat> better expression of that. Look, just a couple chapters. We're going to stick mostly with Matthew here, but look uh, back to chapter 1. And look then in what would be, I think, should be very obvious once we see it, at least it was to me, <coughs> that more than any other, this word fulfilled is used in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And it's used over and over and over talking about certain prophetic events happening in order that they might fulfill the prophecy. So here in chapter 1, looking at verse 22, we're just going to look at several of these. In verse 22, it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, of the Lord by the prophet. And then, of course, it had to do with a virgin bearing a son. If you'll look over then at chapter 2, at verse 15, there he says, Concerning his departure to Egypt, where they took the child Jesus to Egypt, and it was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. Verse 17, it says, then was fulfilled. Verse 23, that it might be fulfilled. Chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, this is he that was spoken of by the prophet. Chapter 4 and verse 14 says that it might be fulfilled. Turn over to chapter 8. And you'll see that it doesn't say any of this in the Sermon on the Mount. That it might be fulfilled. Because in that sermon, Jesus said he came to fulfill all of it. Here we're speaking of specific prophecies that were fulfilled. Verse 17, he says, that it might be fulfilled. Then you go to uh, chapter 12 and verse 17. And there he says, that it might be fulfilled. Chapter 13 and verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Verse 35 of the same chapter, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Chapter 21, skip over there, chapter 21 and verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Chapter 26 and verse 54.
Once again, he says in verse 54, How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? Now, remember that word. It means to make full. So how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled or brought full? Brought to their completion. Fully fleshed out, as we would say it. Well, continue to read. In verse 55, he says, In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And it's interesting that here in this gospel, oriented specifically to the Jew, that so much was said here concerning the fulfillment specifically of certain prophets, prophecies. So when Jesus said he came to fulfill, not only did they mention specific ones here, but to fulfill all of it, make it complete, whole, totally flesh it out. That, and then, of course, other scriptures tell us that God might be all in all. I want us to look at chapter 27, verse 9. He says again that which was fulfilled by Jeremy the prophet. And then also in verse 35, finally then it says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now there are several things in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. There was, there's doctrinal teaching in the Old Testament. And the Lord Jesus fulfilled that doctrine to the full. He was the embodiment of it because he was the living word. He was the embodiment of all of that teaching brought forth in flesh to us. There are ethical teachings in the Old Testament. He fulfilled those to the nth degree. Completely. Not only in keeping the law to the smallest detail, but even going beyond that which the scribes and the Pharisees taught in keeping the law in the spirit also. He kept the spirit of the law to the nth degree, which, by the way, was a much higher standard than what the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes were accustomed to doing. You see, they kept the outward physical parts of the law, the easy part. It's a lot of times what you and I fall into, a trap, because we then live out our Christian life and we have a tendency to want to fall into the daily routines of life of doing the easy things. Well, I read my Bible, I prayed, you know, I witnessed to somebody, I came to church, didn't miss a service, you know, do all those things that... We feel good about. Makes us feel wonderful because, well, I've gone weeks and weeks and done all these things. And Jesus did them as well. But he, he did not lose connection of his heart with the keeping of the law. With the spirit of the law that was intended. 
And of course, that's what he's going to go on to teach his disciples here in this sermon about the connection of keeping the law and obeying in the spirit. There is a far superior way or a surpassing or excelling way, which he comes to, which we've read in these verses already this morning and we'll come to later. And then we also saw as we searched through Matthew's gospel and we could have gone in through the other gospels on into the book of Acts specifically where it talks about these scriptures were fulfilled. So you could go on and look up a whole lot more of, of verses that relate to this. As a matter of fact, uh, one that I do want us to go look at, well, a couple of them actually, at Mark chapter 1, if you turn a few pages over to Mark's gospel and verse 14, here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says here in verse 14, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, The time is fulfilled. It's here. And the time is set. And I am come for this purpose. So this fulfilling then had to do with making this whole Old Testament uh, revelation. You know, the... It's like, the, it's like some have said it, uh, and you've heard this expression. The New Testament is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Or the Old Testament was the bud of the flower. The New Testament is the blo- full blossoming out of the flower. It gives us the fullness and the completion of it. And that's what Jesus was saying, I have come to do. When, I, when he says, I come to fulfill the law, I am come to do That very thing. Now, he also says, Paul that is, in Acts chapter 26. So if you want to turn there, Paul agreeing with Jesus, and you wouldn't expect anything else, says the same thing in Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. There he says, having therefore obtained help of God or help from God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great. I admire Paul for that. (laughs) I find it a lot easier to witness to the small than it is to the great. (laughs) It can be a little intimidating, but it didn't seem to bother Paul one bit, did it? He just witnessed them. He didn't care. I witnessed to the small and the great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should, what? Come. That Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. It's kind of interesting. It seems to me like Paul taught more than more than what was in the Old Testament. Some things that were hidden there, he revealed. But he says, I didn't tell him anything other than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. And if you look over to, um, or maybe it's back, 
wasn't planning on it. Yeah, look, if you look back a little bit in chapter 26, here's an example of that. In verse uh, 6, he says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. So what the fathers taught concerning the promises to come, that's, that's why I'm being held here in court today before you, Agrippa. Unto which promise are 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. Now the word there is not the same word come that we've been looking at. It's actually the word to obtain. It's the same word over in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says he hoped to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's the same word here. They hoped to attain unto the promise. Well, that includes the idea of resurrection. And Paul understood that. Because if they were going to attain to the promise... Well, there had been an awful lot of Jews that had died up to that point in time. So if they were going to attain to the promise, they would have to be resurrected in order to be a part of the Messiah's kingdom. But notice, don't just take my word for it. Watch what Paul says here. He says, For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible or unbelievable with you that God should raise the dead? See, that's exactly what he was talking about. But my point is here, in relationship to Jesus fulfilling the law, is that Paul was teaching the same thing. And he did nothing himself but maintain what the teachings of the law were. So when Jesus said, I am come not to destroy the law, not to get rid of it, so we've got a new section here. Which some would, by the way, would just do that. They'd just say, well, hey, why print up these whole Bibles? Let's just print up New Testaments. That's all we need. And I am, I am ranting now. I don't like just plain New Testaments. I want to, if I'm going to give somebody a Bible, I want to give them a whole Bible. There is a unity of the message of Old and New Testament. And I think we're doing people much harm. When we give them a scripture, a New Testament, without giving them the Old Testament as well. But I'm just, that's okay. That's off to something else there. Okay. <clears throat> now, Romans chapter 10. And verse 4. Notice what Paul says regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. He's not telling us here that he, he brought the law to an end, that it was no longer valid or it was, he fleshed it out. He brought it to its completion. Back up with me, if you will, to chapter 8. Concerning Christ, in verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, <coughs> who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, there's an amazing statement. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is, in essence, is he's saying the experience he has of being in Christ, because Christ fulfilled the law, enabled him to live freely from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in verse 3, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us who? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So it's walking after the spirit of the law, not according to the flesh. And that's the way he's making the contrast here, that the righteousness of the, of the law is fulfilled in us. We believe in what Jesus Christ did in fulfilling the law. As God's son. If you look back at chapter 3. We're just going backwards here. In reverse in Romans. Now we find. He says. But now the righteous. In verse 21. But now the righteousness of God. Without the law is manifested. Being witnessed by the law. And the prophets. Even the righteousness of God. Which is by faith. In Jesus Christ. Unto all. And upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. He's talking about now. The righteousness of God. Without the law is manifested or made known, revealed, being witnessed by the law and the, the law itself and the prophets. There was a righteousness to be obtained that came by faith. And, of course, we could go back and look at how Paul uh, used that, that expression, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith. So he says then, back at, back at Matthew chapter 5, he says... Uh, in verse 18, he says, Till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled, till all brought to completion, till all of it be brought to its fullness. Or as Paul later says, he says that God may be all in all. All things will be filled out, fleshed out, brought to its fullness. And of course, you already know the little expressions there. The jot being something like a little comma, about the size of one of our commas. And the tittle, the word there means horn. And it's talking about the little curve mark on a Hebrew word. If, if you just look at your own Bible, probably you are looking at um, probably at something like a Times Roman font. 
And if you look at one of those letters, like an R or a T or a W or any of those, you see a little serif on the end. It's just a little, it curves out. That's something like what he's talking about there in a Hebrew letter. So these teeny little things, the minuteness of what God has given in the Old Testament, the law, not one of it's going to pass away, he says, till it's all brought to its fullness. And when, well, i got something else I need to look at here. Then um, Matthew chapter 24. So what it, Jesus in the Sermon, uh, the sermon uh, on the Mount, or the Olivet, <laughs> Sermon on Mount Olivet, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. He says here in verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, he said the law wouldn't pass away, not one jot or one tittle till all would be fulfilled. Heaven and earth are going to pass away one day. And when they do, all of this that he has spoken of, all the little references, all the little verses, all the little things that we look at, will all be fulfilled, all brought to pass, all brought to its completion one day. The kingdom will be returned to the Father. And Paul says, as I've said earlier, that all things or all things would be all in all, as Paul uses that expression. Fullness, completeness, wholeness. We break this thing down and we tend to look at the parts, and that's good, we have to do that. But to let us know that Jesus is telling his disciples all this is going to happen. All of it's going to be brought to pass. Nothing is going to be left out. And this, he says, in, in this phrase, I am come. I am come. I can't imagine what that might would have done to the heart of anyone listening who would have grasped the concept or the thought of this person standing before them on this little hillside here teaching them these things. But I can tell you one thing that it did to him. One thing that Jesus is doing here when he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law and so on. We mentioned this last week that he's speaking as none of the others spoke. For instance, like the scribes. And we mentioned that the scribes did not speak of their own authority. They either relegated themselves to the Old Testament scriptures or they would quote some famous teacher or a rabbi and they would limit their teaching to these things. But Jesus didn't do that. He spoke of his own authority and he set himself forth as this one who was to come. I am come. And so consequently... At the end of the sermon, as we've already looked at, but we're going to review it one more time. At the end of the sermon in verse, verse 29 of chapter 7, he says, or it says there, He taught them as one having authority 
and not as the scribes. And as a result of that, the multitudes were astonished. The people, it says, were amazed, marveled at his teaching, his doctrine, the things he had to say, because they were, as it were, off the chart from the things that the scribes taught and the Pharisees and so on. This was a little different. And so this was boldness and newness on their part. And, of course, we know that what Peter says, Peter talks about the dissolving of the earth and the heavens, and they're all going to be done, melted, dissolved, completely wiped out. And then one day there's going to be a, uh, well, I would suspect virtually immediately there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. We have so much to look forward to, so much to anticipate of what God has given us in his word and what lays out there in the future for us. It's just mind-boggling to even consider all that the Lord has for us, even after the thousand years. In other words, it isn't over yet. There's more to come, more to come. What does all that speak to us about then? It speaks to us then about the things that Jesus spoke to his disciples in in the Beatitudes that we've just covered. About being poor in spirit and meek and humble and seeking after righteousness and purity and all of those things that he mentioned in order that you and I then could be salt and light to the world around us. To view So they might view our good works, and as a consequence of viewing our good works, it says they will glorify our Heavenly Father. He will get the glory only as long as we are obedient to Him and do those good works that He spoke of. So all of this then is simply to move us, to to get down to the depths of our hearts, to be fully Devoted to our Lord Jesus Christ and obedient to him. He says, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, you in no case, no wise, no manner or way can we enter into the kingdom of heaven. It takes a heart that is fully given over to Christ for that to happen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do want to pray that you would fill our hearts with the awe and the wonder of your Messiah, your Son, and what this meant as he sat here to teach these disciples of his and the crowds that were surrounding, listening in, hearing what he was saying. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would come to a full comprehension and understanding of the things that he teaches later on in, in this, this uh, sermon so that our hearts might be wholly given over to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ and as Paul says it, the obedience of faith. Or let us keep faith, maintain faith, and walk in faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.